glad you chose to be with me today. Welcome back to our Bible study time. We're talking from Ephesians 4 and 5 about how we can let Jesus be the Lord of our lives in the practical living of life and how when we know who we are in Christ and we know how much he loves us, then we can love other people like we need to love other people. Now, if we insist on our rights, then, then we will never be able to love people. We have to give up our rights. And if in our marriages we insist on I'm right, you're wrong, and that's all that matters, <clears throat> we'll never have a good marriage. We have to be willing to die to ourselves and let Jesus love through us. We literally become an offering and a sacrifice. An offering is a gift that's presented, something that is offered to another. That's what Jesus did for us. What was the offering? Himself. And that's what we have to give, a little bit of us. It also becomes a sacrifice. You see, Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice upon the cross, and we're told that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, first to him and then to others. When we become a sacrifice, it means we die to ourselves. We allow him to live through us for others. You see, when Jesus did this, he didn't consider himself. He didn't demand his rights. He didn't look at his feelings. He didn't think about his comfort. He thought about us. He didn't consider any of those things, but he thought about what it could mean for us if he would pay for our sins and we could be forgiven and made right. That's why he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. You see, just as God has forgiven you, which has already happened, you are to forgive others. And the idea is that the greatest evidence of love is forgiving. For as we truly forgive others, we ourselves are evidencing love. You say, you love and don't forgive, then you don't love. We have to forgive if we love. It's not easy to forgive people who hurt us. And it is not letting them off the hook. There's so much misunderstanding about forgiving other people. People think it's letting them off the hook. Uh, we don't have them on the hook in the first place. That's not our responsibility. God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, said the Lord. Our responsibility is to live our lives to the full. And a part of that is forgiving others who have hurt us. And forgiving means simply that we say, I no longer am going to hold a grudge against them. I'm going to let that go and give that to God, trust them to God, and move on with my life. You see, the real test of whether we know and realize and experience the fullness of our forgiveness is do we forgive others or hold grudges all the time? Something's wrong with us if we hold grudges. Now, I want you to see in this passage, he also talks about our problem. You see, before we can love, we have to see our position in Christ. We've talked about that. And we have to recognize that Jesus is the example of how to love. But we also have to realize our problem is ourselves. Paul talks about it here, heart sins, which come because we reject the love which God has given us, and our flesh reacts to what happened. He's calling for us to refuse to react in our flesh, in our self-life, but to respond in love. And he begins to mention some of the things that evidence that we're responding in the flesh and in our self-life and not in his power. First, he mentions in verse 31, bitterness. Those are the things we need to put away, says, because that doesn't characterize somebody who's like Christ and who's living in love under his lordship. Bitterness is a smoldering resentment, a brooding hatred, a sour spirit. The person who is bitter always sees something wrong or some defect or some deficiency in everything. His life is sour. The saddest people I know 
are bitter people. They are resentful people. They make life miserable for themselves and everyone else. He says another thing that we ought to lay aside is wrath and anger because those are characteristic also of what would come from us but not what Christ would produce. And it means to explode. Anger here means an internal smoldering that blows up. And there's clamor. That's the public outburst of anger that reveals that we're out of control. There's nothing that shows more what we're like in a crowd or a group when we get angry and blow up. Men and women in a state of rage do a lot of things, but that reveals the truth about us. Then he says slander is another thing. That's the, the defaming of someone's character because we have a bitter heart toward them. It's cutting somebody down, trying to cut them down to our size, but you see, we're, we're already too small. We shouldn't be trying to bring them down there. There's malice. That's ill will. That's thinking evil and plotting evil against another person. All of that, Paul says, is characteristic not of Christ, but of us if we don't let Jesus be in control, if we don't let him be the Lord of our lives. And then secondly, he says, problems with sexual sins is a counterfeit for love. Whatever God establishes, Satan will counterfeit because he tries to produce a counterfeit love. Counterfeit love characterizes Satan's children, those who are of the world, just as true love characterizes God's children. And so it's important for us to realize that, that love is attractive, enjoyable, pleasant, satisfying, appreciative, but that's the kind of love God wants us to have. The world talks about love and claims to want love and advocates and praises love, but it would not be surprising that this misguided quest for that kind of love leads invariably to immorality and impurity because that kind of love is selfish. It's for me. It's only about my pleasure and my satisfaction, and it's self-centered and it's conditional. It's not concerned about commitment. It's not concerned about giving, and, but it's concerned about getting. And so it's important for those of us who are believers to really deal with sexual sins. There's never been a time that I've ever known in 60 years of ministry that there is so much sexual sin as there is today. People who are in the churches, people who are out of the church are living together without being married. People who are claiming to be Christians are having affairs. And it's important for us to realize that this is not what a person does when they're under the lordship of Christ. And he talks about immorality here. The word is pornea, from which we get our word pornography. And it refers to all kinds of sexual sins. And there are many today. And it's the opposite of true expression of love. Sex in itself is good. It's God-given. But it's a part of a, a marriage relationship, not outside of it, not before it. Paul warns of the tragic consequences. There is probably no sin that can produce more tragedy, more difficulty, more problems, more hurt, more heartache than the sins of misuse of sex. The second word he uses is impurity, and it's a more general word which refers to anything that's unclean or filthy. Every form of sexual immorality is an expression of self-will, self-gratification, self-centeredness. That's why Paul goes on to say it shouldn't be named among God's people. He talks about greed here. 
greed for sexual satisfaction outside of marriage. What you hear often today, well, I've got to find myself. I'm not happy in my marriage, so I'm having an affair. I'm going to divorce my mate and marry this other person. I'm going ahead and have sex before marriage because I need to satisfy myself. I need, I need to uh, check this all out before marriage. All kinds of excuses are given, but they're not excuses that are produced by love. They're produced by lust. And we're going to talk about more about some of these things tomorrow. I hope you'll be back with me. God bless you. Have a great day.